With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Oil Spills podcast for Tuesday, January 1st, 2019. Happy New Year. In this episode, part two of two of our Edmonton Oilers mid-season reports on the team's ongoing hot-button topics. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. And I'm Craig Ellingson. Maddie, Derek, and I talk about a few more simmering, ongoing subjects surrounding the Oilers, including the surprising Alex Chason, who came into Oilers training camp as a tryout replacement for Scotty Upshaw, earned a contract, and is on a scoring tear. The impact of the injury to defenseman Oscar Kleffbaum. The play of forward Yassi Pugliarvi, who has looked better since being called up from Bakersfield to work under Hitchcock. And the hot seat Oilers GM Peter Shirelli occupies, and has been since last season. This week, we're going to talk about, and we ended our last podcast, starting to get into it, um, Alex Chason. He was brought in by the Oilers on a professional tryout in training camp, made the team. Heading into Christmas, he was on a tear. I think every team wants to find an Alex Chason via PTO if they can, can't they? Well, he's only he only got the PTO because Scotty Upshaw got hurt in training before training camp, and they needed another body. And Pat Morris's agent is very well respected, and I think he picked up the phone and and he convinced Alex Chason to come to the Oilers when when he maybe looked at the roster and says, ah, I don't know if I can make this team because they got lots of returning players, knowing that Glenn Gullitson, his former coach in in Calgary, was on the coaching staff of the Oilers, and he would get at least have somebody in his corner in camp. And to his credit, he came in. Worked hard every day, scored some goals in the preseason, uh, and sat out some games to start the year, but just keep scoring. And he won't score at 30% for the whole year, and it's going to come down. But even last year in, in Washington, he was 15%, which is higher than most, you know, if, if you're an NHL player, you'd like to be around 12, uh, and he was 15. So he doesn't need a lot of shots to score some goals, but... He looks like another one of those those players that Peter Shirelli gambled on, and it it's, uh, turned out real well. 
Well, what I like about Alex Chason, and it's kind of surprising actually that he would had to have a PTO, you know, professional trial to come in here, try and make this team, is that he has a knack for the net. He knows where to go to get open. And I think Ken Hitchcock talked about that the other day, is that some guys just don't know where to, how to find those little pockets of space. And he does that. And he finds those pockets of space and he has a quick release and he gets the shot off and it's a very accurate shot. And I think that's why he's shooting such a high shooting percentage because he's, he's scoring from right in front of the net. He's, he's putting up layups. When you, you know, put up layups, you're going to get a high percentage of, uh, he's not shooting from the blue line. He's not trying to shoot from the top of the circles. He's getting right into those pockets, right in the front of the net or right in the slot. And he's just waiting for the, for the pass. And, and, Mc, and McDavid does a good job of finding him and whoever he's playing with does a good job of finding him. And that's what makes him very effective is the fact that he, he, his good are kind of getting lost in the zone and then showing up in the right spot at the right time. And, and he does have a good shot. He has a quick release, and, and, and it's working for him right now. So you look at, you look at how he's, he's going and he's playing, and he has that ability, and he's not a bad skater, and, he, and he's a pretty smart guy. And, and you have to be a pretty smart player to play with a guy like McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like They've been trying to find someone to play with those two guys for a long, long time. And he's able to do it because he can think the game at that level as well. He can think the game the way those guys see the game. And I think that's why he's being successful. And, and it's, a, it's a great find for the Oilers. And again, this is another guy that I think you have to give Glenn Gullickson a lot of credit because he said, this guy can play. This guy, let's bring this guy in and, and see if he can show us what he can do because he can play. And I think he convinced Shirelli and the Oilers to, to have a look at him and, and now look at how the dividends it's paying. And the amazing thing is, is that his 15 goals, you know, here sitting before the Tampa game, that's the most he's ever scored in a season in any time. And it's all, we're not even, you know, we're halfway. Well, I don't think he's ever played in the top six. I think he's always been a bottom six guy. And he's, and he's kind of chipping goals on a checking line. So now he's playing a top six role. And you, you're interested. And, and he's kind of maturing. He's still kind of finding his game. He's finding his way. And now you're, you're going to wonder, well, what can he do in the top six role when he's playing power play minutes, when he's playing you know, 20 minutes a night, he's playing with the best player in the world. Let's see what he can do. And he's obviously taking that opportunity and run with it. I'm sure there's a lot of other general managers in the league kicking themselves because you don't you can't pick up a 15 goal scorer for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars the bare minimum in today's nhl very quickly or very easily and he had offers to go to russia and he had offers to go to switzerland uh chase on did but he considered himself still an nhl player which is why he waited the rest of the summer rather than sign somewhere else as so many you know nhl players as the summer you know drags on, they they take a European offer rather than a PTO if they they can get one. So yeah, it's a really good story. Now he's not getting four million dollars next year. I don't care how many goals he scores because teams are going to look at ah, this was an out of body experience. Yeah. But he could probably get a a contract from the owners for two years at double you know or a million and a half a year or something like that. You know two-year contract for 3.2 million or something like that and uh not a break the 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 bank contract but certainly more than that 650 he was making and more than he was making in washington when he won the stanley cup as well so and he is 28 he's he's not people think he's this 32 year old or something because he's played a while but he's only 28 years old so he's got something left in his game i was gonna say isn't that what zach cassian's making Zach Cassian is making one point nine five. Oh, two million dollars a year for two goals and a, I think three points on the season. So, yeah, Zach Cassian's, uh, yeah, uh, 
yeah, that's another situation, right? Like it all oh, kind of evens out. You're getting he brings to something different goals. to the table, however. He does, but you expected him to chip in with 10 to 12 goals a year, and he's got two. So I, I mean, think- it's hard to believe. If you'd looked at the Oiler roster at the start of the season, you'd have said, okay, our best three forwards are the ones that we all know, or it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins, and they're doing just fine, and they're scoring goals. But would you have said that Chason is the fourth leading guy with 15 goals and who has he has more goals than if you added up five six other oiler forwards total they don't have 15 goals so it's a huge bonanza for the orders chase on now they need more from some other people too because you can't just you know you, you can't have dry with the goals he scored and, and connor with the goals he scored and chase on with the goals he scored all in one line and then you're you're saying okay where's all the other ones yeah, that's another issue too. Secondary scoring—they're not getting any of it, and so I think that's that's a problem, and it's a big problem for the Edmonton Oilers right now. Another big problem for the Emerson Oilers right now is not having Oscar Clefbaum in the lineup and Chris Russell at the same time. Now, this is another one of our highlights of the season so far, nearing the halfway point. Clefbaum just had surgery on his hand. He'll be out of the lineup for weeks. We're not exactly sure. Did someone say mid-February? Six to eight weeks, I think it was. was Yeah, six to eight weeks. I bet she's back sometime in January. Yeah. Oh, yeah, late January. You're missing uh, back around the All Star break, probably. You're missing the guy who was putting in the most minutes on the on the Oilers' defense per game, and you're also missing Chris Rus- Russell. Your, you know, shot blocking, bit of a jackknife or jack of all trades, uh, plays on your penalty kill defenseman. He's out of the lineup at the same time. Now, we don't know when he's coming back, and for all we know, by the time you hear this podcast, he will be back in the lineup. But it obviously does you know expose the orders a, you know, a lot more than if they had them in the lineup. Even though you have an opportunity to bring up a uh, defenseman like Caleb Jones to see what he's capable of doing at the NHL level. What well, do you say with well, the Clefbaum and Russell situation? I don't think the orders can complain too much about having any defenseman or any player out. They've had fewer injuries than some teams. I think Boston had their entire defense out. You know, their best two defensemen and Chara and McAvoy and a whole pile of other guys too, and they were down to about their twelfth defenseman playing it. So but you're right. When Clefbaum is your number one guy in the point in the power play and your number one defenseman against the other team's best players and he kills penalties and he's on the power play and he's five on five, that's that's tough to fill. And uh, you know, it's unfortunate that you get hit with a shot break your pinky finger which you don't use much in the real world but like if you have to grab your hockey stick (laughs) you know you kind of need it so uh you know it's it hurts and russell hurts because he's as as competitive as he is and he eats up minutes too two players who eat up a lot of minutes not playing and fortunately for the oilers they have several nhl defensemen anyway players who played in the nhl 
who can play. So it's not like they've got four Bakersfield Condor defensemen playing. They don't. They have Caleb Jones, and they have enough other defensemen. In fact, they're not even playing Chris Weidman. They traded for you know from Ottawa, so they have enough NHL defensemen around, but none the caliber of Clefbaum and uh, none who has the the shot blocking ability of Chris Russell. So it's certainly a hole, and um, it hasn't killed them yet. But uh, over the long haul, if both players are out for an extended period of time, it's that's uh, troublesome. You know, well, obviously the future remains to be seen in a lot, a lot of ways. But, you know, with the orders playing, you know, above 500 at this point, um, and all of a sudden the season, if it's in jeopardy, and if you can pinpoint the defense, what do you do as a general manager to try to address that? I mean, have you done everything you can? Or because, you know, trying to find uh, someone who can replace Clefbaum in particular. I don't think you can without trading Ryan Nugent Hopkins or something crazy like that. Well, you're not going to get Colton Branko in here. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people wanted that. Um, but I, I just think that it has to be, they're going to have to fill those minutes by committee. I think just everyone is going to have to play an extra two or three minutes a night to kind of try and fill those minutes. I think uh, Darnell Nurse is going to play a lot more, and, and I think he looks like he, he's a guy that can handle those minutes. Um, Caleb Jones looks like he can play. He looks like he can he can be a guy that can that can play here. And I think they did a good job with him, letting him develop in Bakersfield, letting him get you know find his game and make mistakes down there. And 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 I think right now you're starting to see that he has the skills to be a, a very very good NHL defenseman. It's just a matter of you know getting enough time and getting enough reps in the league and and kind of developing his game that way. So I think right now. If the Oilers have another big loss on the blue line, I guess if a nurse or Larson goes down, then they're going to be in big, big trouble. But I think right now they're, they're able to, they should be able to kind of weather this storm until Clef Palm comes back um, because I think they have enough experience on that blue line and they have enough NHL-type defensemen around to be able to kind of fill those gaps. But if they lose another one, then that could be an issue. I totally agree. The, uh, the All-Star break and their five-day break come at a good time in in the latter part of January and into 1st of February. So might not be playing a lot of games but and might not miss them that much because they're not playing games then. Uh, if he comes back at the end of January, early February, he won't have missed as many games as he possibly could. You know, we're going to talk about Peter Shirelli here in a in a couple of minutes, but I'm going to throw a curveball at you because we didn't I didn't tell you. Let's talk about Yossi Pugliarvi because I think he is the storyline of the season, and his developments. Obviously, uh, he was sent down to Bakersfield um, just before Todd McClellan was fired, and then Hitchcock asked for him to come up to the team, and. I think it's fair to say Pugliarvi has been more noticeable on the ice in his play, you know, particularly, you know, over since Hitchcock brought him back up from Bakersfield. Um, but he's pretty key to the order's future as well because, you know, if he somehow reaches his potential, that's a huge plus for the Edmonton Orders. We're talking about missing secondary scoring from people other than McDavid 
and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. That's a guy, you know, considering he was picked fourth overall two, two years ago, that's a guy that, and considering who went after him and who are lighting up the league now, like Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, that's a guy you really want to break through and become a become what he could be. Well, they need him to break through. And I think, I honestly don't think the Oilers did their due diligence when it came to Jesse Pugliarvi. And, and they saw the the physical attributes that he has, and he has these great physical attributes, skater, big guy, good shot, just he was he was gifted with these physical attributes, but he has no sense of where to go in the game. And I think that's the one thing that frustrated uh, kept, uh, Todd McClellan in the previous coaching regimes is that he just doesn't have a sense for the game. He just got by with his great physical attributes for so long throughout his career. You can do that in junior. You can just be bigger and stronger and faster than everybody else and have a successful junior career. I've covered junior hockey long enough to know that I've seen that happen. You get to the next level when you're playing against guys that are just as big, just as strong, just as fast. Now you have to think the game better. And he doesn't do that. And I think that's the the frustration part. I think if anyone's going to get tap into his his uh, potential and, and kind of figure out how to play him at this level when he's when he's not dominating physically. And, and we've seen shifts where he does. We've seen shifts where he takes the puck to the net and you're, you're wondering, wow, this guy's impressive physical attributes. It'll be Ken Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock will figure it out. And I think he knew that. He knew that he was the guy that's going to figure out how to play this guy best in the NHL. And I think he wanted to take that responsibility. And that's why he said, this guy needs to be up here. He's not. He's going to dominate physically down in the American Hockey League like he did in junior. He's got to be able to find other ways to be effective without skating over people or skating past people or just being physically bigger, better, and stronger. And I think that's what he saw, and I think that's what he's trying to get out of him. And and it's tough because I think Jesse has trouble understanding. When you when you throw too much at him, it's, it's too much. You just got to go out there and let him play. Let him run. Let him play. But you have to have guys that are responsible for him. And I think that's one of the issues with Jesse Pugliarvi. He's never going to be the most cerebral hockey player around. That's going to be the issue. And so you have to find him uh, a way to be successful without – throwing too much at him and telling him he has to be in this spot, in this situation, in this spot, in this situation, in this spot, in this situation, because that's not going to work with a guy like that. And I think they saw that in Columbus. That's why the Finnish GM and the Finnish head scout passed on this guy, because they saw that he wasn't the most cerebral player and that they were going to have issues that the Oilers are encountering right now. Well, his three goals would be fine if this was his rookie National Hockey mm-hmm. League season, yeah. but it's not. And... Uh, he has looked better. I, you know, I've I've been a critic of his f- this season for sure, and wondered is he ever going to get it. He has looked much better. The goal he scored against St. Louis was a goal scorer's goal. He got you found a little bit of room, and the puck was off his stick and in the net very very quickly after Kara passed him the puck. So he looked like a guy who was the fourth player picked in the draft there, and he's looked like. That for several games now, he's he's shown it. Now, eventually, that's going to translate to some goals too, or some points. I mean, he's, he's if he's playing, you know, in, in with offensive players, he's got to start scoring more frequently if he's going to be a, a top six player. I mean, they didn't draft a guy fourth overall to be a a third line player. They want him a top six player. And they want him on the right side, you know, which is why they traded 
Everly, I mean, you know, because he made too much money and they traded Everly, thinking, well, okay, eventually this guy can be a top six player. So it's coming, but it's slow progress. And I, it, nothing's linear in terms of drafting. And some guys break in like Patrick Liney and are stars right away. And other guys just eventually the light goes on and they're, they're better. Now, nobody's ever going to compare him to Liney, even if they played in the same line, but a comparison would be Dubois, the guy Columbus took ahead of them, and he's been able to to be a top six player and be productive in Columbus much faster than Jesse Jesse has been. So, you know, the coach is saying all the right things. You know, he's going to be a player. He loves this. He hides his stick. I've never heard that term before, but he... I don't know if it's in his pants or where it is, but but he hides his stick and then he gets it out and he forechecks well and he does this and that. He, he to his credit, he doesn't seem to be reaching so much in the corner now for pucks, fishing for pucks like he was before. He's actually seem, seemingly getting in a little nose to nose with with people in the corners as opposed to just trying to fish the puck out. So um, we'll see. Peter Shirelli's on the hot seat this season. I think it's been obvious since the end of last season, or even during last season, that uh, Peter Shirelli is living on borrowed time uh, because his team ha- team haven't been living up to what they did two years ago, made the playoffs, and because they have the best player in the world on their roster in Connor McDavid, and his uh, contracts, his long-term contracts started this season. So the clock is ticking, and and rightly so, because... You know, this is a salary cap world in the NHL, and you don't want to waste your years with Connor McDavid. Take it away, guys. What? I mean, he's bought some more time here, I guess, with Ken Hitchcock, but we're only halfway through the season. Yeah. There's a lot of hockey to be played here. There is. He did buy himself some more time this year, and I thought the Hitchcock... See, that's the thing with Peter Shirley. He makes... The small moves he makes seem to work out for him. You know, Miko Koskinen is a part of that. Yeah, exactly. And the big moves blow up in his face. And he made three really bad big moves that now he's trying to recover from. And, and if you want to throw in Lucic as a fourth. Um, very first thing he did is he gave away a guy like Matthew Barzell for Griffin Reinhardt. Now, I don't blame him all on that because I think he had just gotten to the job and I think he just got bad advice. Like I blame some of the scouts. They thought that Griffin Reinhardt could play um, when he couldn't. And I, and I, like I said, I wasn't a Griffin Reinhardt fan. I saw him in junior and I just didn't think he could make the transition to the NHL. Then they compound that with the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson trade, where you probably could have got more than just a stay-at-home right-shot defenseman for well, who turned out to be the league MVP. Unless the news about you know the apparent behind-the-scenes toxicity was a thing. Yeah, I, I'm not buying that. I think Jim and I were in that dressing room every day, and you could kind of you would be able to tell if that was an issue. If that was Taylor Hall was the hardest working guy on that team. He worked harder than anyone else at practice, and he went at, he did everything at 100 miles an hour. So um, I, I'm not buying that there was issues with team partying and, and things like that. No, I, I'm not buying that at all. So I think that was Taylor Hall had to do some maturing, but this is a guy that had 30 goals. He had a fantastic season. Like this guy was an all star that you traded away for a stay-at-home defenseman, which you probably could have gotten more for, but for whatever reason, decided to make that deal. And then you trade away another 30-goal score in Jordan Eberle for basically you gave him away because now what you have is Ryan Spooner. You have nothing to show for that trade. You have Ryan Spooner. You have nothing to show for the Griffin-Reinhardt trade. You traded away the rookie of the year. 
And now, if you want to throw in Milan Lucic in there, you gave Milan Lucic a seven-year contract for to a guy that has one goal in eighty games. That's that's an that's an they start to kind of pile up the big moves, and then when you when you have the big moves blow up like they have on you, I don't care how many good smaller moves you make, it's going to be an issue. And I think right now you look at the Oilers and where they are salary cap wise, where they are as far as their drafting, where they are as far as their development. And they're right back where they were in 2010. And you're Martin. assuming they would have drafted Marthy Barzell instead of... Well, they probably wouldn't have, and that was a mistake. Well, there you go. There was another mistake. <laughs> yeah, but they could have just as easily taken sure. Besser. They could have taken yeah. Kyle Connor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, those are first-rounders, They would have got too. a good yeah. player. They would have got a good player. Yeah. But, and that's obviously that's a, a critical, issue, but. critical mistake. And coaches get fired a heck of a lot f- faster and, and more often than... than general managers, but Ron Hextall's got fired this year, and he's an icon in, in Philadelphia. So if, if he can get fired, Peter Shirelli can get fired. Uh, general managers, I think the fans look at the players, the owners look at the general manager. you got to get into the playoffs. you got to make me some money here in the playoffs. If you're not going to make me any money as a general manager, I'll find somebody else. We'll get better players. I need playoff gates. They didn't get them last year. Uh, they didn't get him the first year that Peter Shirelli was the general manager because it wasn't a very good team, and he wanted to take a look at the roster. He only had one playoff run of, you know, of two rounds with Connor McDavid, and, and the owner, Dale Cates, likes that playoff money. They make a lot of money per game, so they got to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, I can't see how the general manager would be back. I mean, he's got four years into five-year contract, so he's, he would still get paid, but... I think they would look elsewhere uh, for another general manager. I think this is about the playoff remedy. I think this is a business decision all the way that if he doesn't get the team in the playoffs and they don't get playoff revenue this year and they have, they've missed out on playoff revenue for three to four years under Peter Shirelli, he's gone. And I think it could be all the way to the top. I think Bob Nicholson's job could be on the line as well. I think this is a situation where he knows right now he's up against the wall and he has to make the playoffs. And even if he does make the playoffs, let's say make the playoffs and lose four straight or lose in the first round, is that good enough to save his job? I don't know. Because I think the expectations were higher. The bar was set pretty high when they went to the second round because people were talking then the following year, oh, they're going to go to the Stanley Cup final. And then you're looking at this year, if that progression had continued, where would the orders be? What would the, what would the orders look like? And I think they, they're not there. And, and they don't look like they're going to get there anytime soon. They look like they're a team. If they're going to get into the playoffs, they're going to sneak into the playoffs. They're going to fight and claw their way into the playoffs. But they're not going to be a dominant team in the playoffs. They don't look like that team right now. They could be with Connor McDavid. That's a wild card. He's, he can take a game and, and, and win a game on his own. But, like I said, are they in a better spot than they were when Peter Shirelli took the team? Yes, because they have Connor McDavid. But if they didn't win that lottery, where would they be? You know, when I think about the situation now, I want to think a bit about the situation in Montreal with Mark Bergevin, because he was on the hot seat a couple of years ago. You know, Carey Price was out for a long time with an injury, his star player on that team. Um, and I, there was a lot of pressure to do something about Mark Bergevin, who had come in and obviously had changed things and had enjoyed some success, but then things fell off. And there was a, a lot of pressure for the Canadians to fire him. He's still there, and now they're competitive again. Uh, against, I would say, some odds. I mean, obviously getting Shea Weber back in your lineup after being out for a year, and he's he's our, he is your best player, you know, outside of Carey Price. Mm-hmm. 
is there something to be said for being being patient even though there's all this pressure to win, all this pressure to make the playoffs. The team hasn't made the playoffs 11 of the last 12 years, and that is a factor. But we're talking about going scorched earth and starting from nothing again. How many times have the Oilers done that over the it. last do- half a dozen years, never mind 12 years? They're not doing it, and it's it's a tricky situation for Peter Shirelli. He's got to keep his job, so he's dealing. He's supposed to be the general manager looking down the road for all these young players, but he needs to keep his job. So he's also probably looking at a trade that's going to get the team into the playoffs and, you know, the end of February if if they're still in the playoff race. Yeah. So he's got a way being the caretaker for the franchise with young players and stuff and trying to get more ready players to get that team into the playoffs. So, you know, if you're, if you're Daryl Cates, he probably – you know, wouldn't care one bit about some young player in Bakersfield if you can get a better player and get him into the playoffs and make make them some playoff gate money. Great, but you know, it's he's there's lots of times I've seen Peter the rink. He doesn't look very happy. No, and I think that's a slippery slope. And I think there has to be someone there. There has to be a voice of reason with the Edmonton Oilers, whether that's Bob Nicholson or someone else. Keith Gretzky or whoever, that you cannot mortgage your future just to try and get in the playoffs this year. Because if he's Peter Shirelli is 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 general managing for his job, he's not going to care about three years down the road. He's going to care about this year and that's it. And I think that is a very dangerous situation when you have a general manager who doesn't care about the future because now these assets that you have coming. But isn't that sort of on than Bob Nicholson and I guess yeah. by extension Daryl Cates. Yes, it is on them. It is, and, and I think that's you're why you're playing hurry slope. up offense on your general manager and now, and just like maybe you could argue Todd McClellan mm-hmm. was trying to save his job. Yeah, aren't we compounding mistakes from all this pressure? Whether it's coming from Daryl Cates, Bob Nicholson, Wayne Gretzky, or the fan base, who knows? I mean, it could be a combination of everything. Yeah, one thing that's, the owners don't have that a lot of other teams do have when you keep missing the playoffs is the fans still keep coming to the games. So they're making money in the regular season hand over fist, but you make more money in the playoffs. So I mean, some franchises like Philadelphia, where they played very poorly in St. Louis this year, suddenly the fan base is in the regular season. There's no walk-up. Fans aren't going to the games because the team's not very good. But the team makes money in the regular season, so that, you know, salves the wounds for for. Daryl Cates in terms of dollars coming in, but he's the, every owner in hockey wants his team in the playoffs to make well, sure. Well, sure. Someone, and, someone's been there telling Daryl Cates, look at how much money you've lost by not making the playoffs in whatever it is, as seven of the eight years you've had the team. Consider that every single one of your season tickets is sold out and that you're charging $16 for a burger and whatever else you're charging for yeah. stuff in there. You, I mean, yeah, of course you're not going to make as much money if you don't make the playoffs. However, you want to lose, get, be out of the playoffs through the 12th or 13th season and then start over with a new management group when you, that's been fed to the fan base for yeah. a very long time. 2006 is 13 years ago. Yeah. 13 years ago. No, it's, it's, a, it's a long time. and I think, It is a long and, but time. But the fan base is, they, it's funny because, yeah, Charlie's feet are <laughs> to the fire right now. And so, and I cannot see him keeping his job if this team doesn't make the playoffs. But you're right. I mean, unless people start voting with their pocketbook, and this is assuming, you know, assuming the orders don't, they fall flat in their face, they miss the playoffs, and everybody gets fired. And that'll be an interesting situation to see if, if that would happen. Yeah. And, and it will. 
Um, anyway, we still have a whole half of a season to go before we start going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? Anyway, but that's why we saved the Shirelli stuff for the end, because I know that that is probably the hottest button of all. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.